Hi everyone, it's Kevin Clifton here and uh, we're here at the Mayflower Theatre in Southampton. We're just getting ready for a double show day of Rock of Ages and I've got one of the stars of the show, Mr. Kevin Kennedy. Hello mate, how here are you? Is. Yeah, I'm good, how are you? I'm good, I'm great, I'm great. Yeah, all ready for We're ready to rock shows. and roll, yeah. So yeah. I like these Friday back-to-backs yeah. because uh, for those who don't know, a back-to-back is we do one show... Uh, maybe five o'clock and then we have like 20 25 minutes off and then we go straight into the second show uh where normally we'd have maybe a two three hour gap in between two between a matinee and an evening but i like these back-to-backs because we yeah. just get it done and we're still we're still warm so to speak yeah mm. it's a bit of a slog but it's sort of like you'd rather just do it and get yeah. on with it and, and, and keep going than yeah, lose be, your momentum and have to get uh, up again it's going to be cool yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so um I mean, I don't think you need that much introduction. Everyone knows who you are, but for those who yeah. don't know who you are, do you want to just give like a, a little rundown of uh, yourself? Yeah. My name's Kevin Kennedy. Um, most uh, TV viewers will know me from Coronation Street um, and possibly Police File. Uh, no, that was a joke. Was <laughs> Cor- Coronation really? Street. I did. I played Curly for twenty odd years between the years of eighty three and ninety three or something. Uh, and since then, I've been mostly doing musical theatre or, or theatre and, and lots of other music-based ideas. Uh, music has been always been around my life from the, from the age of 10 onwards. So it's always been around. Uh, and since I left Coronation Street, uh, I've kind of gone more into music, uh, especially musical theatre, because I love acting, I love music. It's a perfect marriage. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. So um, my mum, it, it was the most exciting thing for her about me doing Rock of Ages was the fact that you were in it. And when <laughs> I'm, she, I'm big with mums. Yeah, yeah, when she came yeah. to see the show, yeah. like I was like, how how was how was it? Do you, do you like it? Yeah, yeah. Is is um is Curly Watts coming out? <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, all right, yeah, yeah, we'll go and meet Curly Watts. Well, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. the power of Coronation Street. It's yeah. massive, massive. Um, Bill Tarmy, who played Jack Duckworth, once told me a brilliant story. He was extraing in Coronation Street. Uh, as Jack Duckworth uh, before he became a contract artist. Right. Uh, so he did other jobs as well. And he did uh, King Lear um, at Granada Studios with Olivier and John Hurt. Um, and he told me this brilliant story that he'd been filming with Olivier and John Hurt doing the King Lear. And he came out the front of, uh, of, Corona- of Granada TV and there's a load of people waiting there. And there was John Hurt and Olivier, and all the people waiting went straight past those two <laughs> and straight up to go, Hiya, Jack. Amazing, amazing, Which, yeah. And he said, you don't understand, there's two of our finest actors. Yeah. Uh, and apparently Olivier thought it was hilarious. Yeah. So uh, that's the power of Coronation Street. Yeah, so people love going it. back to your, your mum, yeah, it's, it, it never fails. I mean, I've been all over the world. I'm very lucky I've been around the world uh, with Coronation Street and other things, and it's wherever you go, you know. Yeah. I went with my dad to New Zealand to do their telethon. Now, New Zealand is as far as you can possibly go. Because yeah. you go any further, you're coming back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? It's the other end of the earth, yeah. literally. And me and my dad got there about, I don't know, about six in the morning. But we didn't know where we were because we did it in one hit, uh, the full 24 hours around the globe. Right. So we got to New Zealand at six o'clock in the morning. We didn't know what time, it, where we were or what time it was. We wanted a beer. So we walked down to the, uh, in, um, I can't remember where it was, Auckland, went down to the harbour there where the guy said, yeah, you can get a beer down there. We walked down there. We, we, there was no one else about Auckland. Six o'clock in the morning, me and my dad sat outside this little pub 
uh, which was open for the uh, for the local fishing trade and what have you. And this fellow walks up and went, "All right, there, Kelly." <laughs> Straight away, a scouser as well. Yeah, yeah, say. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's you know that's how that wacky Amazing. it can get. With yeah, yeah, yeah. My mum doesn't watch anything really on TV. My mum watches. She likes the football. Mm. She'll watch football. If the sound of music's on, she'll watch that. Right. She'll watch Strictly Come Dancing and Coronation Street. That right. is literally all she watches on TV. She doesn't. She's not interested in anything else. Well, that's probably about the, the best of the bunch, though, isn't it? Really. Yeah. All the footy, things. Strictly. Yeah. Curry. Yeah. Sound of music. Sound of music. Yeah. Can't go wrong, really. Can there you, you go. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, you as a, as a performer. Yeah. Like. Starting from the beginning, so you're a City fan, I'm guessing you grew up in Manchester. I am, a Manchester boy, yeah. yeah. We're Manchester Irish, my family, so yeah, so we, uh, okay. we grew up, uh, I grew up in, in Manchester. Um, and did you always want to be a performer, like from, from Never wanted to be anything else. Not yeah. from, from, from the age of, uh, I think I picked up a guitar at the age of seven or eight. Okay. Um, uh, and, and I wanted to do something around entertainment. I didn't know what. Yeah. Um, um, when I got to the age of, I was still playing and what have you. And um, when I got to the age of uh, 13, 14, it was quite a, an amazing time in the UK. It was 1976-ish. Um, punk had just erupted. Okay. Uh, and it was a revolution <clears throat> in the true sense of the word. It meant that people who were watchers could get up and do it. That was the idea behind punk. It was to get rid of all that glam rock and stuff like that, where people were actually good players. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Your, 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 your um, you know, your, your queens and your, your thin Lizzies, they're Zeppelin's great players. Like Zeppelins are great players. But the punk thing meant you could get up and have a go. Yeah. Uh, and no one was going to uh, judge you for that. And that, that was the music you were, you were into? Well, no, I, not so much. That, it wasn't the music. It was the idea behind it. Right. It was the okay. fact that you could get up and do it. Yeah, and no one was so it. So whole, and not just music, right across the arts. So you could you turn on like Granada Reports as it was in um, in in my region, or I don't know where it'd be in anywhere else, but your local evening news, and you'd see, call it, you'd see people that you knew who were doing uh, poetry, punk poetry, doing uh, sculpture, music, acting. It was an explosion of people doing what they wanted to do. And it didn't matter. That huh. was the idea behind punk. Okay. Right? Yeah. So it was cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To get up and do things. And, and no one judged you for it. Yeah. It was a lot freer then in, 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 that, in the society. There wasn't, obviously there was no phones around, but you could get up and do it. People forming bands all over the place. Mm. And a whole load of bands suddenly just came on the scene. And obviously the, the, the cream came to the top, I'm talking about, you know, uh, uh, after the Sex Pistols, you, you know, Elvis Costello and people like that, who yeah. were all, all on that kind of mad tour uh, with the record companies. I was, um, I, I was being a good Catholic lad, I went to a local church and a mate of mine called Johnny Marr, um, sure. who lived on the same estate <laughs> as me, yeah. same age, 14 years of age, and uh, we wanted to form a band, which we did do, called the Paris Valentinos. And the payoff for that was we had to, for, to get the church hall, we had to play the folk mass, right? So myself and John used to play the folk mass and uh, we formed a band called the Paris Valentinos, yeah. uh, which was the first band I was ever in and Johnny's first band. I never really p paid much attention. People knew about it, but I said, look, we were 14 years of age. 
it didn't really. Four, 14. 14, you know, and we had one Vox AC 30 amp uh, and two guitars and a mic and everything went through that Vox AC 30. Yeah. Uh, we played our first gig at the uh, Silver Jubilee or, or Golden Jubilee, I can't remember. And you were playing guitar? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we were doing Thin Lizzy covers and Tom Petty covers and we, we did our first gig on a on two uh, kitchen tables put together. Amazing. Uh, uh, we had a lead singer, but he got so drunk on the on the free street party booze that he just fell over. So me and Johnny <laughs> shared the vocals. Now, I didn't put that much... Um, weight behind it because as i say we were 14 but then I, I read johnny's book which is only out about a year and he puts more uh, importance on it right and i thought well that's cool if johnny says it's, it, it was cool and it was important yeah it was cool and it was important yeah 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 right so uh and obviously johnny went off to do what he wanted to do uh, i i i mean i i was privileged i mean i sat in johnny's uh, bedroom and watched him play the guitar right at the age of 14 and it was a privilege because I knew then I'm just watching you could see how good went, he was wow what is this you know yeah. what is this and it was like wow it's like being in Lennon and McCartney's yeah, bedroom yeah, before yeah. they became the Beatles you know it was like wow this guy can play you know yeah, this is yeah, something yeah. else this is something special and in my head I went I must remember this right because yeah. there's something happening here you know that kind of 14 year old uh, intuition um, and Johnny went off and formed the Smiths and blah 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 and um, and I decided, oh, we're still friends to this day. Yeah. So I said, right, you know, I'm going to go off to drama school, Johnny. And went, okay. And we're still pals. And he went off. The Smiths were born, and the rest of it, and, and the rest of what happened to Johnny is history. Um, a couple of years down the road, uh, I'd done my, my drama school and everything, and I was in Hamlet at um, Deffield Crucible, and uh, across the road, the Smiths were playing. <laughs> so I finished my gig. Uh, my my show, I went over, and it, it was it couldn't have been more than three four years after we sat in Johnny's bedroom, and he was headlining in, in his, his his own show, and I was in Hamlet across the road. That's Belgium. amazing. But that was happening a lot, you know. There was yeah. lots of people that I knew that were popping up all over the place. It just felt like a big yeah. movement. That it was, was a massive movement, and and a lot of people, you know, put punk down saying it, but it, they, they're missing the point. Yeah, it wasn't the the quality of what you were doing. It was the fact that you could get up and do it. It was involvement. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's And really it was a brilliant time to be around. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, and I went to see a lot of bands. And, and that's what started me off, really, with the music side of stuff. And were you um, just doing that just for the pure enjoyment and getting involved? Or did you, were you thinking at that time when you were in the Paris Valentinos, are you thinking, I'm going to be in a band when, when I'm older, yeah, well, I'm going to be in a I successful well, player? Just, I didn't know. I mean, I enjoyed the involvement. I enjoyed the social side of being in the band, as you do when you're 14, you know, yeah. wearing eyeliner and drinking Breaker. Yeah. Me and Johnny used to drink, drink Breaker Lager. I think we were really cool. I've only just got out of that moment yeah. <laughs> the yeah. last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> drinking Breaker Lager and getting on the bus. Yeah. <laughs> and then hanging out in, in clubs where there was other musicians. What we thought, And it was a cool, it was a, it was a cool social life. Yeah. Uh, the playing was only like 10% of it. Yeah. The rest was just, yeah, we're in a band. Yeah. And no one said anything because everyone was doing it. Yeah. You know, you yeah. could say, well, you know, I know I do sculpture. Oh, cool, man. I do punk poetry. Loads yeah. of punk poetry arrived. And, and, and people like Jilted John, uh, Graham Fellows, who is a great actor, um, he burst through that on, on, on that kind of uh, circuit. Um, and he's still around today. I mean, and, and I train with, with Graham and, and various other people that keep popping up all over the place. Um, 
so that was that was what really got me into it. I didn't know what I wanted to do until I went to drama school. Okay. Um, because it, was it your decision to go to drama yeah, school? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I went round all the big the big uh, drama schools, Rada and all that, and I thought I'm not too sure about this. And and th- at this particular again, the movement of punk and stuff like that brought to the fore regional accents and stuff like that. Yeah, and the theatre was quite not quite used to. In the sixties, they had they had that kind of kitchen table drama, and it was just breaking through again in the seventies. And and when you went to drama school, you know they didn't mind the fact they had a regional accent. It wasn't always that way, yeah. or they tried to, to to knock that out of you. Right. Uh, so I went to Manchester Poly School of Theatre, which was um, uh, I thought a brilliant school, mm. very down to earth, right? Uh, very <clears throat> gritty uh, and vocational. You know, you if you come here then you're expected to go on into the profession. But we don't want party pieces. We want to produce a thinking actor. Right, okay. An intelligent actor. That. Yeah, like what sort of things were they teaching? Because I never went to like an acting school or whatever. I'm just well, sort of learning as much as I can at the moment. Well, people do party tricks. You know, they, they, they think they're, they get there and they go, this is my favourite bit. And they went, no, no, you don't do that. First year of drama school, you never went on stage acting in okay. front of the public. You crewed. You went on to, you, you know, you, you, you painted the set. Right. You, you ran the show. You were stage management. Yeah. You never, ever performed in front like of karate the karate kid. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. You've got to learn how, to, how it works first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So does from, that still happen? Uh, I don't know. I hope it does because yeah. it was a brilliant grounding because later on in, in my career when I come across stage management, I have a respect for them because I've done what they've had to do. Yeah. Uh, and 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 that and I thought that was a brilliant idea, you know. Well, the whole year, the first year, nah, you do your, your your acting classes, you do maybe the odd kind of little show piece, but you don't do you don't work in the main hall unless you're behind stage, yeah, backstage, yeah. And I thought that was a brilliant grounding. So we did all that, and then I did uh, my second and third year, where they kind of hone you into once you've you've got that basic understanding of how a theatre works. Um, then they, they, they try to, to push you in the right direction. They stretch you. You never play a part that you were made to play. Right. You were, you, you were always playing something totally opposite of what you might be cast as. That's interesting. Pushing you out of your comfort Absolutely, zone. all the time. And yeah. that went on for three years. And, it was, and um, it, I really enjoyed that period of, of experimentation as regarding being an actor. I mean, I was only 18 when I went in, which was very, very young. Uh, and, and I was a bit mad when I went in. I was, I was 18, you know, mm. it was crazy. I was still rock and roll head. Um, but what I found out later, I thought I'd, I kind of uh, ignored everything that they tried to teach me. But as later on in, in, in my career, it, it must have gone in by a form of osmosis because yeah. I went... Hang on, I know, I know how to do this. Yeah. Um, so those three years um, were not wasted, you know. Uh, so to cut a long story short, I came out after three years. I was a jobbing actor. I was getting little bits and pieces. I did Chegger's Place Pop as well right. for a while, which was Keith Chegwin's first kind of uh, very famous show in the 70s. I was a team helper. So I, I, so I was in a TV studio. So I got to know how the TV studio mm. worked. And, mm. and I got to see some great bands yeah. in, in the 70s that were live in the studio. It's like a perfect job. Oh, it was great. It was great. And I was learning how a TV, although I didn't know that, I was learning how a TV studio worked, live television and the rest of it. 
Um, and then I got a, a break. I did an audition for an agent in London. Uh, when, when I was just coming out of school, I was, I was what, 20, 20, I think. And uh, a lady saw me there uh, who was casting a show uh, with uh, Warren Mitchell, who was Alf Garnet. Right. Um, and it was all, it was a spaghetti northern sort of thing. It was a play by Eduardo de Filippo about a family set in Naples. Right. And they took this family from Naples and the set in Rochdale. Okay. And this lady rec- uh, remembered me and said, would you audition for this? So I auditioned for it. And this is very condensed. Yeah, and, yeah, I, and, yeah. I, and I got the job. And uh, and I was, I did, I think it was, I made my, uh, my debut in Greenwich Theatre um, and I was there for 10 weeks and then we moved into town, into the West End. So at the age of 20 something or other, I was in the West End. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I'd done the West End previously because I was in the Manchester Youth Theatre. Right. Um, and the play that we did was taken to London and we did it at the Shaw Theatre and I was there for three weeks. So, um, so by the age of, I don't know, 20, 21, I'd, I'd done kind of two West Ends uh, and and I'd done some TV, uh, and I'd been in a rock band. Very <laughs> impressive. Yeah, <laughs> by twenty one. Yeah, yeah twenty one. Were you aware of how big a deal it no, was doing no the idea. West End and all no of that? No, I. No, you were just doing it. I quite enjoyed it. I mean, I worked with some great people. Again, I, I learned off Warren Mitchell. God bless his soul. He's dead now, but he. I mean, he was a comedy genius, right. and he'd been around. He told me great stories about when he 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 worked with Abbott and Costello. Um, and what they did, they they just did this this sketch, and and it was all just ad lib. They did they did this sketch where uh, it comes in, and um, uh, one of them lies down, and it's supposed to be a medical, uh, and he turns the radio on, um, and the radio show is supposed to be telling him how to, or the radio is supposed to be telling him what to do to 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 do this minor operation. But what he does, he turns it on accident onto a car, um, a, 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 an engine cleaning program or an engine <laughs> fixing program right. right and one's job it was never seen was just to read out a a manual of how to fix a, a mini uh, but the guy who's doing Abbott to Costello thinks right. he's doing an operation <laughs> yeah, yeah. so it's like tweak the nipple yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's all that yeah, 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 yeah. and he told me all these stories and what have you about and how he you know how he got on in the business and he worked with the greats and he taught me an awful lot you know he taught me so much as a young actor about about comedy, um, and I think there was no one better on stage. Uh, and 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 the biggest lesson he taught me was to wait, wait, take, wait. Take your time on stage. If it's going very well, don't feel you have to rush it. Let 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 the audience enjoy the moment. Uh-huh. Okay. I mean, I mean, of, of course, we all get told about pace, and we've got to keep it going, but. You said, just wait, just let them enjoy the moment. Yeah. And then when you're ready, and when they're ready, carry on. Don't be scared to stop. Yeah. Even if they start la- laughing midline, stop. Yeah. And if you can make the second one funnier or whatever, just do it. Yeah. So that was cool. That's interesting because so, some actors, like when I hear them, them talking, I hear them saying that they're not even aware that the audience is there. Like like when they're performing, no, that they, they tune out. Like they're just doing their thing, and okay, they're not well, even. Aware. I've never understood that it could, because it's a, it's it's a live experience, and there's not many of them left. 
most people are plugged into a phone or, or mm. whatever. Uh, to 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 have that shared experience now, you either got to watch live football, live gig, or live theatre. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm if especially if you're doing comedy, you've got to be aware of the audience. Yeah, because you, you never talk through a laugh. Yeah, uh, and and you wait, and you can, and it, it's a dance almost. Yeah, see what I did there. Yeah, see, no, yeah, <laughs> it's it, it's it is it's, it's almost choreographed with the audience mm. uh, because there's rhythms to to comedy, and you, you start to, to to do a line, and it, it's like da 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 da. And you know the funny bit is right? It's almost like that. Yeah. But but obviously that's a limerick, but in your lines you know where the punchline is. Yeah. So you've got to you've got to wait and you think, well, should I give it him now? Or yeah, should I wait? Yeah. And if you've got a big hole, right, or something as big as this, and it's full, the laugh starts at the front and goes back and then comes back on a wave. Now, the trick is, is to wait until the wave comes back to you and then hit it again and it'll send it back again. This is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 all, it's all experience. Yeah. Right? It's learning how to work yeah. an audience as much as... So I, I can't do what you just said about, you know, just concentrate. concentrate. Yeah. I mean, I can understand it if you're doing a drama right, uh, or something really heavy, but with comedy, you've got to be, be tuned into the audience Yeah, because you've, you've got to be out of time the next bit. And if you get that, there's no better feeling in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is when you when you time it and it lands perfectly to send that laugh, that wave of laughter back again. Yeah. And yeah. it's great. But this is what I'm interested in as well, because like I, what, one of the things I sort of struggle with is, and, and we've talked a little bit, like, like yeah. you've been really sort of um, welcoming and friendly yeah. to me since I come into Rock of Ages and sort of, any questions you've been there and you, and if there's, or if there's anything happening, don't worry about this and mm. don't worry about that. One of the things that, that is an issue for me is that I feel like I'm so reliant on the audience. So like if, if, if something, if a moment like that happens and, and you're saying, you just said it's the greatest feeling in the world mm. and it comes back and the audience are just so in tune with you, mm. like they're laughing, they're energetic or mm. making loads of noise or whatever. But what happens when the, audience are not like that when the audience are a bit quiet because i feel like you'll never let it be seen on stage but inside i'm falling apart well there's the rub because you must never ever ever chase the laugh because it's just not going to work the audience know that you are trying too hard right some audiences are like that some audiences smile you can't hear a smile yeah, Some audiences just like just yeah. like to smile and go, yeah. I mean, a, a Monday night audience might be different from a Friday night audience. You might be in the south, you might be in the north. I mean, every audience is different. Um, they catch you by surprise. Sometimes they will say, you will say something, or you say your, your normal line, and they'll, they'll laugh at it. And you think, why did they laugh? And then you think, oh, I know, I'll do it again. So you're chasing, you're chasing the laugh, and it and it. It never works. The audience are too, they're too, they're too canny for it. Yeah. Right. It's being funny is all about being <clears throat> honest, really. Yeah. And playing, and playing the truth of it. And that's what's funny. Uh, if you chase it, if you chase the laugh, it's not going to happen. Now, I wish I could sit here and tell you that I've never chased the laugh, but um, unfortunately I have. And I don't <laughs> think any actor or any performer or any comedian uh, who's being honest will say, yeah, 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 we've all done it. Yeah, and and it never works. Yeah, never. Honesty is the key. Truth is the key for for comedy. 
Uh, of course, if you're doing something stylized like panto, yeah, then chase that laugh all day long, you know, yeah, because okay. that's what it's about. But in something like Rock of Ages, um, I find that the more truthful that you do it, the funnier it is. Mm. The scene between uh, between uh, Lucas and I, Lonnie and Dennis, the, the, the if you like love scene, it's not a love scene, but if we do it properly, which sometimes we don't do, <laughs> but if you do it properly, it's funny and then it's, it's a ah moment. It's sweet. Yeah, as well. yeah, 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 for sure. And so it's round. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, it's so a it's really st- lovely moment. Starts off, yeah. it starts off funny, and it does the full circle, comes back against it. Ah. Yeah, 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 yeah. What, but what about if it's like you're saying? What if it's a serious piece? Um, are you aware of an audience? Then it, are there times when you chase uh, a certain reaction? Well, that, there, like if that it's a drama? Is, straight acting is a different is a different ball game. Um, in a, in a way, it, straight acting is a lot easier than comedy. Okay. Because because you you're doing you're telling the story, uh, but and it, and it's it's more intense it's it's deeper. Um, I'm not saying that comedy isn't, but um, when you're doing a, a serious drama, it, uh, there's not much room. For, you might get laughs, but there's not much room for it. You've just got to tell the story really, and it could be very serious stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I've done a, me, me fair me fair share of serious stuff. Uh, and it's a lot harder. It's exhausting, okay? Because Exa- you've really got to think it through, and you've got to play those moments, um, and and tell the story as as clearly as you can. Because you've got to make it work for the audience. Mm. Mm. And how much how much prep do you do, and and what does it entail? Like going into a character, like um, you mean generally across the board? Generally, and and has has it changed as you've got? More and more experienced, is it like? Yeah, yeah. It used to be like, oh, uh, what am I going to do? Okay, um, let's have let, let's who who is this guy? You know, let's let's have a look at this. What's the backstory? And- yeah, think about it. Think about it. Because if you do your homework and you do a backstory in your head, hmm. then it makes things clearer later on when you get into rehearsals. Um, but again, we see we in in straight drama or comedy you used to have a lot of rehearsal where you really pick it apart. I mean, line by line sometimes in the more serious stuff. What is your, I mean, the old joke about, hey, it's that, you know, why am I going over here, darling? Well, mm. yes, it's a joke, but, but actually there's a lot of truth in that. Why am I going over there? Yeah. You know? uh, and um, I, I like that. I, I think that's very valuable as, as an actor to do that with a good director because it pays dividends later on. Because if you know that character inside out and where he's coming from and why he's doing stuff, then the acting almost just comes straight out. It just happens. As it just stinks. happens. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I used to I used to really enjoy um, a lot of that kind of intense direction, uh, but but as this industry has progressed, um, the money uh, and time um, to rehearse something really really deeply doesn't happen as much right um especially in the musical uh musicals uh, industry the with musicals it's a it's it's hard uh because you've got um the scenes are smaller and then you've got uh a big set piece sorry the noise you might hear folks is this, this is a proper working <laughs> yeah, theater yeah. so people are banging about backstage crazy and cast of actors all yeah right. so you might hear noise don't we're not nothing untoward going on we're in a working theater so um 
with musicals, the, sh- the scenes are shorter. And then you've got a big set piece. Yeah. And then a small scene, then a big set piece. Yeah. Um, now, if you don't rehearse it properly or you don't uh, think about those scenes, what happens is you've got like a really lovely um, uh, song and dance number and a bit of a crap scene. And then a really lovely uh, song and dance number and another crap scene. Yeah. That's the, and that, that's the art of musical theatre. Mm. It's not the singing and dancing. Mm. It's the bit in between for me. Because you've got less time to get, to get your character over. What are you doing uh, before you go into the next number? Yeah. And I think for me, for me personally, I'm not, yeah. that, that's yeah. the art of, yeah. of, of musicals. Huh. Uh, I'm not saying that the singing and dancing is easy. Of course it isn't. Mm. But it's easy to rehearse. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You sort of know what it's got to be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But those little scenes are very important. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes in, in, in certain circumstances, they get kind of thrown away. Yeah. I've been to see shows and I go, well, yeah, yeah, that's great. You've done a lovely song and dance and it's brilliant. But what happened to that bit in the middle, the scene? Yeah. The, yeah. the key to the next bit, it was like kind of thrown away almost. Mm. And I'm none the wiser who you are. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. So I had a slight issue and I know this is not the, the popular opinion. Yeah. But like when I watched the film The Greatest Showman, um, when, when that came out like great sort of spectacle yeah. of a film but I, I sort of what you were describing there is how I felt when I was watching the film I felt like it went from spectacle to spectacle yeah. like from showpiece number to showpiece number it was like watching MTV yeah. like music video after there's music no meeting, video there's, there's, there's yeah there's, and I just wanted something to grab hold yeah. of sort of emotionally yeah. in between it somewhere well exactly that's what I mean that's why I like music, the really gritty musicals like when the first time I saw Blood Brothers yeah. I saw it in the West End right at the beginning of the run. Yeah. And I came out of the theatre and I was exhausted and I was elated. Yeah. Because I'd, I'd felt like I'd been through the mill with this family. Right? Yeah, yeah. Because the, yeah, for acting, sure. the acting was, it was Barbara Dixon. And if you're listening, Barbara, I love you for that. Yeah. that <laughs> I just went, this is, this is the best thing I've ever seen. Because I came out of the theatre feeling... Wow, that was something else. Because yeah. the songs were brilliant. It was brilliantly written, brilliantly acted. Um, and the scenes, they were so strong. Mm. It was all about how you felt watching Exactly. It. And not- then the music was just like, almost like a bonus. It was... Yeah. You're not, you're not wo- walking out of it going, oh, did you hear how they hit that note? Yeah. Or, no, or how no. they kicked their oh, leg he, in that dance? Or, he cracked. Yeah. Who cares? Yeah, who cares? All this yeah. crap about cracking. I don't care about if you crack. If you're doing a scene and it's honest... And it goes into a song and you crack, I couldn't care less. Yeah. I'd say more power to you. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of rubbish talked about cracking and this. Forget it, kids. Forget all that. Yeah. You just do your scene, do it right, uh, make the audience believe you. And if you crack, you crack. So what? Yeah, 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 yeah. Now I'm totally on board with yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Absolutely. Um, what about like stage to TV? How does, it, how does that differ? Do you have to go about it in a different um, way? Stage to TV was... Uh, for me, was well, that was an experience. In, I worked with a guy, um, one of the first tellies there, a guy called Stephen Frears, who now is a top Hollywood director. Yeah. My, my beautiful laundrette and all that. Uh-huh. And uh, and this is not a unique experience, I found out later. that I, I did I had a little scene with, with uh, about three or four scenes in this in, in this uh, in this piece called The, the Last Company Car with uh, like actors like Jim Broadbent and people like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. There you go, folks. We're proper yeah. working theatre. <laughs> so I was with like that actors like Jim Broadbent and, yeah. and, and, and the like. I mean, 
top class. And Stephen Frears is a great director. And I had three or four scenes. Um, and he was watching me and he was directing me. Uh, and I'd, I'd finished my scenes. And we were filming on location in Birmingham. And um, I said, well, thank you, Stephen. Um, that was my last scene. He says, okay, okay. He said, listen, um, I, I've got to carry on shooting now for the rest of this week. And your hotel's paid for, isn't it? To the end of the week. I says, well, I think so, yeah. He says, right, stick around. Come back to the set and watch. I thought, wow. I mean, this guy was like, you know, he's world class. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought, oh, thank you very much. So I did. Because they paid for my hotel. But I just, and I ate off the location wagon thing. And I just watched this master. People, people like Jim, he was directing Jim Broadbent and other people. And I was going, I just sat and watched for, for, for about three, four days. After that, I found out that um, he he does that with a lot of young actors, right? Which I think is, so you know, I think that's top class, that's amazing, amazing. Yeah. Fast forward about, uh, uh, it's got to be ten, fifteen years later. I am going on my way to Nashville, which is another part of my of my story, if yeah. you like. But I'm on my way to Nashville. Uh, I'm on an airplane, uh, and you know, I was signed to a label. Then I was in first class. It was very nice out there. Stephen Frears, who I'd not seen for 10 years, walked past me, right, uh, going to his seat, and then he stopped dead in the aisle. And he turned around, and he walked back, and he went, you're one of my actors, aren't you? Oh, my gosh. I said, yes, Stephen, how are you? He said, oh, I've got this movie opening in New York. Do you want to come with me? <laughs> I said, I can't. I've got to go to National. He says, lovely to see you. And he went and sat down. How cool is that? So generous. Yeah. Like, Yeah. How cool is that? That's really cool. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, I mean, I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, that's a wicked story. Yeah. Um, I think we're gonna have to do like a part two because because we're out of time. This is what I thought would happen. There's yeah. so much meat in what we're There's, talking well, about. Well, yeah, we've so. got so much more to talk about. Yeah, right. I know we haven't got a lot of time, right? But yeah. I do want to do more with you. But there's a lot more stuff that yeah. happened to me. Yeah. Some of it wild. Some of it. Some of it horrible. Some of it like chased by the press and things like that and uh, addiction but on there's that side of the stuff but there's also other stuff where i went to nashville uh, which changed my life i got a gold album i was signed by simon cowell i played some of the most amazing places that you've ever seen we haven't even started yet have no. we? <laughs> so that's part two folks if you want to hear it i mean it's 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 a tale of redemption fear drugs and really rock and roll we're definitely doing a part two because <laughs> i feel like we're just getting started yeah Nice one. Cheers, Gav. Right.